All right, welcome back, beautiful people. Uh, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Danielpour. So thank you so much for listening to us. Hopefully you guys are learning a bunch. And so, um, you know, we listen to requests from individuals. And I think today's topic is is pretty interesting. We have a lot of people that are asking about functional issues with the nose. And so, you know, we talked about rhinoplasty and things like that, but today we're really going to focus on the functional aspects of the nose and, you know, looking at health and how important it is to sleep uh, with your mouth closed and breathe through your nose. And, and uh, you know, if you look at meditation and all kinds of things that really help, you notice that we're using nasal breathing as an important aspect of our health. So, you know, we thought that we would really touch on this. So the idea today is that we're going to talk about breathing issues with the nose. And I know everybody jumps right towards, uh, I have a deviated septum because they've heard it in the past. It was popularized. And, uh, you know, I've said this all the time that back in the 80s and 90s, I think we as physicians abused uh, insurance companies by saying, oh, you know, they have a deviated septum. And so we would end up getting a rhinoplasty paid for. Well, that is not the case today. We'll talk about, you know, uh, what happens when we do have a cosmetic portion as well. But really what I'm going to do is go over kind of the three major issues of, uh, you know, having obstructed breathing. And so it really is so interesting, you know, because I do a lot of rhinoplasty surgery and revision rhinoplasty surgery. And it's interesting to me, you know, when people come in, one of the first questions I ask outside of, have you had previous nasal trauma or anything like that is, uh, do you have difficulty breathing? And uh, the majority of the population says no. And then when I go to do an exam and actually deconstruct these three things that we're going to talk about, uh, there is an obstruction. And I think people out there don't realize what good breathing actually is. And so, um, you know, for those of you, I'll give you some easy uh, self-exam tips that you can self-diagnose and... um, That way you can at least know, do you breathe well versus uh, do you breathe poorly? And so, um, you know, again, this is a very important aspect of our health. And, uh, you know, for for all you guys out there, I've gotten in a fight and you've broken a nose in the past and probably don't breathe well. Or for those of you who are singers or, you know, you, you use your voice, your actors or voiceover and you sound a little nasally. There are different reasons for these things. And so, um, you know, I'm going to go over kind of the the four, three points that, that are most common. And, uh, you know, hopefully you can learn something today. And it's interesting because I, I love that you started out with this. Um, because nowadays, as, as physicians, we immediately see somebody and instead of examining them like the old school docs, we just order CAT scans and we mm. order MRIs and we mm. order tests and because, yeah, it's great. Let's use technology and see. But I love the fact that you brought up the fact that there are simple ways for you to self-diagnose. It's old school, but it works, okay? And we've been taking care of people for, for decades and, 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 and people have been doing stuff before the technology's been out. And, and these are, you know, 
tried methods that have been working for years. So, And you can literally, as you listen to this podcast, you can do some of them yourself and see perhaps if you have the same symptoms. So, you know, what I'll do is I'll kind of bring you through a uh, consultation on someone who comes in and let's say we'll do a combined first. So that's someone comes in and they say, look, I wanted to have a rhinoplasty, but I also have breathing issues. So I first ask about trauma. Um, and then when I ask, do you have breathing issues? And if they say yes, then I ask, is it worse at night? Because it kind of gives me an idea of what to expect. Um, or is it all the time? Sometimes it's because they're in certain climates, sometimes uh, because people have allergies. And so we'll see if we can kind of weed through some of these issues and help diagnose. So first and foremost, so someone comes in, breathing issues, let's say, uh, you know, they're obstructed all the time out of one side of the nose. The external part of the nose we can look in the mirror. And if your nose is not, let's say, perfectly straight, automatically we know that there's going to be a curved septum or some type of deviated septum, all right? Uh, I would say for the majority of the cases. Um, and if nose is straight and you still have some blockage, well, then it can be multiple things. So I always look at the nose from the outside first. Then we'll put our hands on the nose. We see the support of the nose. And uh, usually one of the easiest things to do, uh, you know, after, before putting a speculum into the nose and sometimes using Afrin to shrink uh, some of the areas inside the nose uh, is just to look at the outside. So let's say a curved nose or twisted nose or something like that. Um, you know, we know that the, the septum itself uh, is at least curved. Now, how much of the obstruction is due to the septum may be different. And so for us to see, you know, a, a, a true obstruction, you know, you can have a 10% obstruction and it probably won't really affect your daily life. Once you start getting into the 30%, 50%, I've seen people with 90% blockage where the septum itself is touching the nasal sidewall on one side. Completely different ballgame. And so, uh, the, but the first thing I'll do is you tilt the head back and then look at the nostrils. Don't do this while driving. <laughs> well, look at the nostrils and look at the symmetry of the nostrils. Sometimes people will say, oh, my nostrils are asymmetric. Well, it may not be because of the actual nostril itself. It may be because what we call the caudal end of the septum. The septum, which is nearest to the, uh, the, the nostrils themselves, is curved and blocking the very end. Well, one thing that we can do right off the bat before we obstruct one side of the nose is I'll just have them breathe naturally, inhale through the nose. Then I will have them forcefully inhale. And sometimes what we see is that the, the outside, what we call the alar rims of the nose, collapse, especially if they collapse on one side. That lets me know that there is a weakened external valve, okay? And so it, it guides my therapy and lets me know what would need to be done for a complete correction. Sometimes, uh, you know, before I talk about treatment, I'll just kind of take you through more of a diagnosis. Then what we'll do is I'll have each person 
will pl- or I will myself is will plug one side of the nose and have someone forcefully inspire. And that means we'll do one of those kind. And uh, if we do see external valve weakening, again, that, that adds to, if I want to com- you know, truly treat something 100% or as close as I can to that, it adds to my treatment plan. Now, while you are obstructing one side of the nose, let's say you have difficulty breathing, what you do is you place one finger underneath the eyeball on the cheek and you'll gently retract outward. And, uh, you know, this is called a caudal test. Now, of course, anyone who does this forcefully will breathe better. It just, that's the way it is. Uh, But this is a very dedicated, you know, a very deliberate type of exam. So we're obstructing one side, we're slowly pulling out a little bit uh, at the cheek, at, at really where the nose and the cheek meet, is the nasal uh, cheek junction, and we gently retract. That, you know, it's not forcefully pulling, it's gently retracting. If that opens, you have to imagine, let's say you lie flat, and we're looking at the nose, it's kind of like a tent, right? And the tent pole, the divider of the, the, the nose, is the septum. Well, that little angle that's created up high is called the internal angle. Uh, internal valve is right there. So if you obstruct one side, you pull out gently and you can breathe better, we know that you have a very narrow angle. So we've got internal valve collapse. So we went from external weakening, internal valve collapse, and now is really when we bring out the speculum. Now, two different things that we can do. Usually what I would say is I look with a speculum first. Uh, at this point. So we've already done external valve. We've looked at internal valve. Now we're going to look at uh, septum and turbinates. Now I'll get to turbinates in just a little bit, but the septum itself can be deviated in so many different areas because it's actually about four or five centimeters long. And in some instances can be three to four million, sorry, four to five centimeters long and three to four centimeters deep. And so not only can it curve at the bottom, curve at the top, curve in the front and curve at the back. Sometimes it can curve in multiple areas. And so it's S-shaped. And so you block both passages. So really a thorough exam of where this, uh, where the septum lies. And you have to imagine the majority of obstruction occurs within the first third of the nose. Believe it or not, you can, uh, you know, take a Q-tip as many of us have evidenced by the COVID exams and it feels like they're going back into your brain and, and that goes back five centimeters. You go all the way back to the nasopharynx. And so, uh, you, you know, you can make yourself choke on it. Uh, and so it just tells you that you've got long passages where things can go wrong. So we look at the curved aspect of the septum. Now, can it be the, the septum itself um, is really made up of cartilage and a very thin eggshell like bone. But every now and then you can have what are called bony spurs. And this means, so um, also there's a bone at the floor of the nose, which is called the maxillary crest. And sometimes that can jut out on one side or the other or both. So the idea is we're working with uh, cartilage and bone. 
And so for some surgeons that aren't looking at it fully, uh, let's say they correct the cartilaginous portion of it, but don't fix the bony deviation, the patient will come back because most rhinoplasties, you're making the nose smaller. So you have to imagine if we're making the nose smaller and cuter and any of the other er words that you want to use, you have to make the inside of the nose, quote unquote, bigger because otherwise you're going to give people breathing obstruction, right? So it's leaving the appropriate support behind so you don't have that. Um, so again, you, you know, and that's where, listen, if you have a severely deviated nose, that's when I do think that a CT scan of the sinuses and, uh, uh, is a good option. Um, you know, one thing that I am not discussing here are people with repeated sinus infections because that is a whole different discussion. And a lot of times that, you know, those are combined cases with an ENT that does sinus surgery. And so, you know, if you are coming in and, and one of the questions we ask, are you having repeat sinus infections and things like that? That's a whole different ballgame. You could have uh, a deviated septum or any of the things I'm talking about in conjunction with uh, sinus issues where your sinus, uh, the mucus in the sinus can't drain into the nose properly. And so, but again, that's, that's, uh, that, uh, that is going to be at a different podcast with, a, you know, an ear, nose and throat specialist that does sinus surgery. This is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young. Hope you're enjoying the show. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. So now we've discussed looking at external valve uh, and internal valve, which you know we're kind of I'm kind of treating as one. Uh, one type of issue, even though the treatment is different. Then we look at septal deviation, which, you know, again, you can solely have septal deviation. Now we're getting to the third real component, which is the turbinates. Turbinates are like they're, they're mucosal outpouchings so uh, that have contained some bone in them. And they're the, uh, imagine they're like the humidifiers of the nose. They're the reason why you go skiing in Aspen, you don't get a brain freeze every time you breathe through your nose. They warm and humidify the nose. And sometimes you can have a aeration or the bone itself fills with air during development. And it really leads to an enlarged, especially what's called an inferior turbinate. And this is called a contrabilosa. And an easy correction to this is essentially just to fracture that bone, move it over to the side. Sometimes, uh, you know, we have very thickened mucosa. And, uh, you know, that uh, you can hear it in someone's voice when they're talking, they're breathing in, uh, you know, that, that nasal aspect that, you know, the deviated septum can also contribute to that. But um, the thickened mucosa and the treatment for that really is we essentially remove a little bit of the blood supply uh, from that mucosa. So, you know, it used to be that we would uh, just cut them out. You know, we would do complete uh, turbinate resections. And then we realized that we caused more problems uh, than, than they started off with, with an empty nose syndrome. Um, and so now we no longer do that. So let's talk about the potential treatment. So now if someone is undergoing a combined 
rhinoplasty. You know, you know, one thing I should take a step back. If you are undergoing these types of breathing issue or procedures, so we're doing a septoplasty or, or we're doing an internal valve correction or external valve correction or uh, turbinate reduction, if you're ever thinking of changing the outside of the nose, this would be the time to do it because we're right there. And the recovery is going to be the same. And I'll touch on that uh, a little later. And so the treatments for each of these things. So imagine when we talked about the external valve and how it was weakened. Usually what happens is if there's a septal deviation, even if there's not, we'll remove a portion of the septum for grafting purposes. We use that cartilage. So imagine support beams and uh, all kinds of things to help support the nose. So as scar tissue takes over and the skin contracts over the nose, it doesn't completely collapse. So for that external valve weakness, the first thing that we do is we place what are called alar rim grafts. So through tiny little pockets that we create on the inter inside of the nose, we put these little alar rim grafts and that way it stiffens the alar rim. Where do you get the grafts from? Usually the septum. And so uh, I would say, you know, if it's a revision and a portion of the septum is removed or there, there isn't enough septum, that's when we have to talk about alternatives. That's where you go for ear cartilage or rib cartilage or cadaver rib cartilage. And I know it sounds like a, a big deal, but if you can't breathe, listen, uh, breathing trumps everything. And the interesting part is when you do, when you fix the septum, you have to take a little bit of it anyways, right? Yeah, a lot of times what we do, you know, you don't always have to depending on, you know, how much work is necessary. But if you're doing an open rhinoplasty, usually you need some type of support um, so the nose doesn't change or collapse over time. And so... Um, if you're doing a closed rhinoplasty, even sometimes uh, you'll need to harvest some of the septum because uh, for the same reason. So, but if you're doing an open rhinoplasty, usually you will uh, you, you'll leave appropriate support, but you'll take some of the septum for grafting purposes. Then we talked about that internal valve using the tent analogy. The corner of the tent up top. Sometimes we have to stuff a little uh, beam of your own cartilage in there, so when you do breathe. It doesn't collapse. And so those are called spreader grafts. And, uh, you know, every time we add something, we always have to be cognizant that it can change the aesthetic of the nose. And so where we place those, if I want to create a wider bridge, then I put the spreader grafts up high. If I don't, then I leave them down a little bit or a little lower. Um, you know, the treatment for septoplasty is obviously, you know, the traditional that was always taught to, especially ear, nose, and throat, was that you remove the curved portion or excess from the floor of the nose because usually it's either bowed because it's in excess height, excess, uh, you know, length. And so you just remove the excess from either the front of the nose or the floor of the nose. That way the septum straightens uh, and arguably the septum is now straight and can and is fixed. Um, and so the treatment, sometimes um, if the nose is completely being reconstructed, we'll remove the entire central portion of the septum and even some of the bony aspects. We're looking for bony spurs and any type of deflection of the bone. So usually at the end of the case, I love taking a long speculum and just passing it into each nostril to ensure that you've got adequate airway. And then the last treatment would be for the turbinates. 
the turbinates themselves, either we talked about, either a combination or solo, either you fracture the bone to move it out of the way, or what you do is you pass a little instrument just underneath all of the mucosa, and it kind of strips the blood supply, so it shrinks. So usually a combination of those two things is called a submucous resection and move the, the turbinate out of the way and reduce some of the blood supply so it shrinks. And, uh, you know, it really will, um, you know, improve the, the, the quality of, the, of your breathing. So now the question is, all right, let's say uh, you're, you're doing this solo. So um, usually, even in combination, I should, I should take a step back. Usually what we'll do is we'll place the little septal splints. Um, I happen to use what are called Doyle splints. They're silicone splints that have a tube in them so you can still breathe. Many people um, you know, are very claustrophobic. And if you plug the nose and they become mouth breathers for that uh, a period of time, some people uh, have very, you know, uh, it's very difficult for them to sleep. Um, and so... Um, what I will do is I'll place these Doyle splints that have tubes in them. And so you can breathe at the same time. Um, whether or not you receive packing for a day or two or something like that, never more than a, a day or two, uh, just to, we don't want to run the risk of any bacterial infection. Uh, but the idea for that is because we don't want there to be what's called a septal hematoma. We definitely don't want there to be, um, you know, a, 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 po- a little pocket of blood that forms where you've repaired the septum because then that can lead to a hole in the septum and you've just created a new problem. So we usually leave that in for one week. Now, if you're just having the functional aspects of the nose, again, inside of the nose, you don't really see a whole lot from the outside. You can have a little bit of swelling depending on what's being done, but you will have the splints for one week at a minimum. The splints come out, they simply, you know, it's usually one stitch, it slides right out. Um, Some people, you know, I've heard a range of different things. People say either it feels uh, like pressure is being relieved. Um, You know, it's usually not too uncomfortable and each side occurs, it takes one second, just comes right out. And then there are some instructions as far as whether or not you'll be able to blow your nose. You know, what we use to clean the nose, usually a saline spray. And if there's any dried blood, we'll use some peroxide just to chew, enzymatically chew up some of that dried blood. The whole idea behind this is we keep the nose nice and clean. We remove the splints. Um, The interesting part is even if we are, you know, again, it, Uh, with those splints in place and people have had breathing issues, once it's corrected, even in the recovery room, I'll have them breathe with the splints in and your breathing should be much better than it was before. Now imagine we take the splints out and it's even better. Now it will swell. Just like if you have a rhinoplasty on the outside of the nose, the inside is going to swell too. And so the idea is that uh, don't be discouraged. Sometimes you will have some temporary swelling. Uh, but usually by six weeks, your breathing should be perfect. Now, in the event that you had to have spreader grafts and ala rim grafts and the whole septoplasty and turbidate reduction, sometimes that swelling can last for three to six months. Now, arguably, your breathing will be immediately better, but you'll notice an improvement that will slowly occur over the, the first three to six months.
We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's PlasticsDocs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. As far as insurance coverage, if you're doing just the functional component, your insurance should cover it. I mean, the surgeon uh, should document the obstruction. And when the uh, insurance company reads your documentation, they know that this is being done for functional purposes and uh, this should be covered. If you are doing a combined uh, cosmetic and functional rhinoplasty, uh, we still submit these to the insurance companies uh, and they will cover the functional portion only. But the good part about that is that it also will pay for some of the anesthesia and operating room at the same time. So for those of you who are considering you know, changing the outside of the nose while you are having a functional uh, component, it usually becomes a little less expensive because the insurance company covers the, that, that functional component of it. So... Um, you know, as far as the one thing that the caveat to what I'm, I'm telling you here with, a, with these types of diagnoses and treatments is that sometimes your breathing issues are not necessarily due to the nose. Now, obstructive sleep apnea is something completely different. Some people wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air, breathing, mouth breathers, things like that. That is due to something that's a little different. That's brainstem, heavy palates, um, and that is a completely different surgery. So sometimes what happens is people come in and not only they are obstructed through their nose, but they also have obstructive sleep apnea. And that's one of those things that we have to prepare people for to say, look, um, you know, you listen to some of the symptoms to see if you can help differentiate the issue. But sometimes if you, if they have both issues, it's hard to differentiate between the two. So you can go through the surgery, you know, repair everything that needs to be repaired and people still have snoring and disrupted sleep because it's due to, uh, you know, an, an obstruction in the palate or further back in the nasal pharynx, in the pharynx. So, um, you know, this is something that you'll speak with your surgeon about and uh, they can run you through a few questions to see if you can help differentiate, but sometimes it's, it's a little more difficult. And again, the other caveat is sinus infections. Um, you know, sometimes uh, what we think is that if you repair an extremely clogged airway, so extreme septal deviation and you can't breathe, you will have sinus infections just because, again, you can't drain mucus normally from the nose. So when you fix this, we're hoping that it gets better. But if it's due to the fact that you actually have uh, you know, an obstruction in the sinus drainage, it will not repair the problem. And that's why when someone is extremely deviated, we will get a CT scan because you'd feel pretty foolish undergoing the surgery and then not totally fixing the problem. How's um, the recovery compared to, you know, if you, if you did this as just a functional surgery, a lot mm-hmm. of people, I know they ask this, um, if they're coming in, they, they have internal valve collapse and, and deviated septum, which is common kind of to have them both together. Um, 
and they don't want a, a cosmetic rhinoplasty. Mm-hmm. Is the recovery the same as a cosmetic rhinoplasty or is it different? How long would you keep them away from activity and, and going out and doing pl- things? Because again, you don't realize it, but the nose is the central component of your face and, and <laughs> you can easily get it banged up somewhere when you go into crowds and things like that. So sure. kind of just ask you that and see what you think. Yeah, listen, I think actual recovery. So to me, recovery means two things. That means how long am I truly down for? And then how long till I see a final result? So those are obviously going to be two complete different answers. As far as rhinoplasty, we know that the external aspect of the nose swells for a while and you'll see your final results sometimes 12 to 18 months after. Um, if you have thickened skin, even longer. But for a functional aspect, really we see, you know, the, the splints in for the week. You know, it's a few days of discomfort. Um, the splints in for a week, you may have a little bit of swelling uh, of the nose, but it's nothing in comparison to having an actual rhinoplasty. So uh, I'll, the, the, the benefit of doing it at the same time is, you know, if you're considering doing it is, you know, we're right there. We're re- reconstructing certain aspects of the nose. Sometimes it's easier to access certain things doing an open rhinoplasty, especially if you have a deviation that's really far back. Um, and so, the, you know, that's why if you're thinking of doing ec- the external portion, I would do it at the same time. And, and is there any anything you can do without surgery to fix these na- problems? Yeah, listen, I think, um, you know, Breathe Right strips have been out for such a long time. um, And that's really for the, you know, remember, we talked about that caudal test and pulling your cheeks, you know, gently to the side. That's really what, uh, you know, Breathe Right strips do. They have this coil, essentially the recoil on them. So when you stick them to either side of the nose, it basically opens up those internal valves and allows you to have more airflow going through there. As far as a deviated septum that's severe enough or a large turbinate, you know, people run to Afrin because a lot of times it will shrink the mucosa. The problem is repeat usage of Afrin can lead to a disease or a, a, a syndrome called uh, rhinitis medicamentosa. So you are become dependent on it. So as soon as you stop using it, the turbinate swells. So that is definitely not something that you should be doing long-term. Yeah, very, very true. And is it similar to, for example, when I do a breast reduction, I tell the patient, you're going to be in a recovery room and you're going to feel the weight taken off your back. Mm -hmm. Do you get that immediate relief from doing a septoplasty or or, or putting in spreader grafts or because of the swelling, does it take a couple of weeks or a month? Usually patients in the recovery room, I'll have them, I'll say, go ahead and breathe through your nose. And most of them will, their faces will light up and say, my God. God, I can breathe. Um, Occasionally, it will be where you've done a ton of work and there's a lot of swelling. And despite even the uh, splints that are in there with the the tubes, um, there still is a little bit of swelling, but it still should be better than it was before. And then when you take those splints out, uh, usually it's night and day. You can, you, you can from pre to post-op is uh, night and day. And the other thing that I, I got, kind of want the listeners to, to understand, a lot of listeners think that only an ear, nose, throat doctor can do these procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really not the case. The, the, the one thing I would say, and Dr. Lakey kind of hit on it earlier, is, is if you have sinus problems, plastic surgeons don't really deal with <clears throat> sinuses. Um, but all the other functional breathing problems that, that, Dr. Lakey just hit on, 
Um, plastic surgeons are, are very well trained in them and they do them incredibly well. So you don't necessarily need to always go to an ear, nose, throat doctor mm -hmm. um, to get those procedures done. Sure, I think it, it just makes sense for a rhinoplasty surgeon to learn how to do the functional aspects just because it's so prevalent. And so, um, you know, sinuses is a different ball game. I mean, uh, I think that using some of the technology and scopes and, and things like that is, uh, is beyond the reach of, uh, usually of a, uh, a board certified plastic surgeon. But um, what we'll do is we'll do a combined case. We'll have an ENT in the case doing that portion and they can assist with some of the breathing aspects and uh, you can do the cosmetic portion, things like that. So, um, you know, listen, if you're just doing the functional side, you do have the option of just going to an ENT. Um, if you're doing the cosmetic side, just know that a board certified plastic surgeon that does a lot of rhinoplasty surgery will know how to improve your breathing as well. Awesome. And lastly, what are nasal polyps and do you deal with those as as it obstructive issues of the nose as well? Sure. Yes. Listen, every now and then during the exam, we'll see nasal polyps, which are uh, just an overgrowth of uh, mucosal tissue. Um, you know, it's very rare that you'll find a nasal cancer, but that can happen as well. And uh, the nasal polyp can be removed during surgery because sometimes that's the reason for the obstruction. So not as common, um, you know, but it is, uh, you know, I, we, we do see it. So the more rhinoplasty you do, you will see it. Absolutely. And, that's, and that comes along with the surgery. You just take that out. Yes. And the other thing is, um, for those of you, let's say it is strictly an internal valve issue, um, or you've had a rhinoplasty with a resultant internal valve issue, you don't want to undergo another surgery, a major surgery or something like that, there is a, a, uh, a new little device, it's called Latera, that through, it can be done under local anesthesia, through a tiny little incision, it kind of imagine placing a little beam along the side of the nose through the inside um, that slowly dissolves and creates scar tissue, but it strengthens the sidewall so you don't have as much collapse. That's uh, an alternative. Um, I, don't, I don't do that type of surgery, but um, you know, it's something that has uh, arisen over the last couple of years. That's very interesting. I didn't even know about that. Mm -hmm. See, I learned something today. <laughs> Well, listen, I hope you guys have learned something today. You know, just a couple points to take out of this. Um, you know, I, I know I said three major points. There's kind of four, but we'll just say the valves are really one issue. The septum's the other and the turbinates. The external valve is really when you breathe in and the nose collapses. Uh, the internal valve is that you breathe through one side and if you gently uh uh, pull the cheek laterally, um, you, you, it will improve the breathing. Uh, the second is that you uh, have a septal deviation and all different kinds of variations of this. And then the third is the turbinates. And so there are multiple aspects of the functional nose that can be improved. And so a surgeon who's performing a rhinoplasty really should be able to deal with some of these issues because otherwise, if you are making the nose smaller, uh, you could create an obstruction. So you have to be prepared to do these things. 
Yeah, actually, a lot of good points. Um, for people who are undergoing any type of, of nasal surgery, if you're having a rhinoplasty, you really should have somebody that, that, that knows how to do the functional components because it'd be a shame for you to do it and then come back and go see someone else because you can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to make sure that you get it all done at the same time. And if you're not having a cosmetic rhinoplasty, these other procedures can also be done by a board-certified plastic surgeon who does rhinoplasty procedures. Um, you know, Just find someone you're comfortable with and, and take it from there. Yep. And again, if uh, if you do have sinus issues and you want to undergo rhinoplasty at the same time, you can speak to your rhinoplasty surgeon and ask if they have a, a, an ENT that they work closely with. And that way they can do combined cases. Amazing. So listen, again, thank you so much for listening. Once again, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Danielpour. You can listen to us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Peace. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.